Hey there, it's Michelle Pilpich. I am a registered dietitian, certified personal trainer, and your host of this podcast, Simply Intuitive. On the show, we are talking about all things intuitive eating, active living, and breaking down what's true versus what's a myth in the wellness world so that you can focus on simple and sustainable ways to actually improve your health. If you're feeling overwhelmed by all of the health information floating around and you just want to know what to do to feel your best, you're in the right place. Not only are specific tips coming your way, but you can also count on conversations that will challenge your perspective on what health really means. So I hope you'll stick around for many episodes to come, but for now, let's get into today's show. Right, I am here today with Victoria Myers. So excited to be recording with the, one of the dietitians who I've like known and been connected to for probably the longest. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. I am so excited to be here. And you're right, we've been connected for a long time, so this is really like extra special to be able to do this today. I'm so excited. Thank you for joining me. Uh, we have so much to talk about because, like I said to you before we started recording, I haven't really talked to anyone on the podcast yet about parenthood and kids and how that integrates with intuitive eating and everything. Mm -hmm. So I really want to hear about all of that from you. But before we dive into that, can you just share who you are and what you do for anyone who by some off chance, does not know who you are. <laughs> thank you so much. And yes, again, thank you for having me. So my name is Victoria Myers, and I am the owner and one of the dietitians at our group, Nutrition Practice Nourishing Minds Nutrition. We actually specialize in quite a, a few different things. One of the main things, though, is that we work with any and all types of disordered eating to help people make peace with food in their bodies. I believe all people deserve to have a peaceful relationship with food in their bodies, and uh, it's one of the reasons why we exist. We also, I think one of the unique things about our practice is we love working with people who have different types of health conditions, especially hormone conditions. We work with a lot of people who lose their periods from the disordered eating, uh, PCOS, because that uh, can often lead towards disordered eating as well, and even IBS management, um, because almost 90 98% of people with eating disorders end up having GI issues. So we love to integrate all those worlds together so that people get the most healing possible, but also so that they can truly have a peaceful relationship with food and body for the rest of their lives, right? So uh, like I said, we're a nutrition practice. We do everything virtually. We also have a podcast called the Nourishing Women Podcast. Hang out on Instagram a good bit. That's, that's the main spiel about us. <laughs> I love it. And those are such important overlaps because it's so true. I feel like everyone has IBS because, you know, we have such similar populations and it is a thing. And, you yeah. know, we've been there ourselves, haven't we? <laughs> Absolutely. And it's just one of those things where I'm like, you can't not talk about both. I mean, it's... Right. It's critical that people have that support because oftentimes that is the thing that's preventing them from being able to heal their relationship with food and their body image. So I think it's just really critical to be able to like take our nutrition, kind of our nerdy minds and put it with our counseling therapist minds and integrate those two worlds together again for the, like the best experience possible for the client. Absolutely. And can you talk a little bit about how you got into this field and your own experience with your relationship with food and your body? Of course I can, because probably just like you and all of us here, right, is 
Uh, it's a very personal experience. I always had a weird relationship with food and my body, especially starting in my teens. I grew up, you know, in the late 1990s, early 2000s. Who from that era of time does not have some type of disordered eating, right? It just was so normalized, so common growing up for me. All the girls around me were, were dieting. All of my family members, particularly women, were dieting. And it just was the norm for me. And I, I would say especially for about a solid decade of my life, um, from 16 to about 26, I was food and body obsessed. I mean, I did all the things. I did every diet. Um, I especially struggled with something called orthorexia, which is the unhealthy obsession with eating healthy. Uh, I, I bet, Michelle, you could relate to this, but for me, going to school to become a dietitian really played a role for that. For me, as far as feeling like I really needed it to look and act and be perfect so people would take me seriously. And that really morphed itself again into a very specific form of an eating disorder. So like broad picture, food and body obsessed always, but especially struggled for about a decade. And for some of that time frame, it was an eating disorder. So that is why I'm so passionate about it. And I about um, started in 2014, but really 2016, fully healed my relationship with food and body. I opened the practice in 2017 with a fellow friend of mine and now we are here, gosh, like six years later and here we are. doing the thing, still so damn passionate about it because I just love this work so much. And I feel like we're going to do this for the rest of our lives. I love it so much. Oh yeah. I know people talk about like, oh, I want to retire early. I'm like, I want to work forever. <laughs> I like envision myself being one of those crazy like 80 year old women who's like still talking about this. And yeah, you know, maybe then it'll be like maybe more so training and mentoring professionals. But like yeah. I want to do this for the rest of my life because yes. I and I know this is what we're going to talk about today. Like I am on a mission to make sure we end dieting and end disordered yes. eating. I really think by the time my children are my age, we could actually realistically be making huge leaps and bounds in that. And like, I'm like, that's when I'm like, I, I can't stop. I'm on a mission here. Like we, mm -hmm. I'm so serious about that. I really think we have the potential to change things for the better. We do. Okay. But does it scare you? So you talked about like, you know, being a product of the nineties and early two thousands and same, and it's so freaky to see all of those trends coming back, like the fashion trends. And I'm like, what else is going to come back? from that time in a bad way, you know? <laughs> and the fashion is good and bad. Let's be real. So many things are coming like, back. I'm like, why? 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 <laughs> I know. I know. No. Low rise jeans. No, like that is, that's going to throw everyone back into diet culture. <laughs> <laughs> so true. I hope the diets don't come back, but at the same time, haven't they always... I feel like they've always been here. They just yeah. changed names. Like back when we were growing up, the Atkins was the popular high fat diet. Now it's just yeah. paleo and keto. So right. same thing, just different names. Right. That's so true. Yeah. Yeah. I just hope the whole like low fat craze doesn't come back. That's I wonder if that one ever would, because I feel like we're so like, the world is so big on fat these days. It would be, you're right. That'd be curious to see if that ever actually happened. I, I feel like the wellness world is big on fat, but I still talk to clients who are very afraid of it because of being afraid of high calorie. Mm, that's a good point. Yeah. It's, it's just so interesting. I don't know if you feel this way. I get into such a bubble of our work and our peers that I'm like, oh, nobody counts calories anymore. And then I'm like, wait a minute. What? <laughs> Plenty of people do. That is so true. One of the things that I do to help me feel inspired if I'm like in a rut with content creation or just like in general to help 
keep my keep my mind in the right place as far as like how can I help people is actually like not always consuming our world's our peers' yeah. content because then I, again it does feel like a bubble and especially when I'm with friends I just like to like notice the way people talk and their language and just mm-hmm. pay like extra attention uh, family members too for that reason like it's just so interesting to me to like notice because again, it is very easy to get in a bubble. And I'm like, oh, like, I need to remember that, like, the person who's struggling is not in the same bubble that I am in. Right. I know. Sometimes I'm like, I need to, like, switch up my TikTok algorithm and get on the toxic side and see all of that. Because <laughs> it is out there. I have clients sometimes share TikToks with me and they're like, this was so triggering. And I'm like, wow. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. It is. Wow. TikTok is probably the worst of all of them, too, as far as triggering content. Yeah, I feel like in terms of social media platforms, TikTok is the worst when you're on the negative side, but the best when you curate it the right way. (laughs) Mine is pure book talk and uh, fashion and then like some like mom support. Like I don't even see any of that stuff. So I have to go searching for it sometimes. I'm like, I don't even see any of this. Mine is Taylor Swift, like pranks. I love that. And dogs. (laughs) (laughs) that feels so true for you I love that so much right (laughs) I mean I guess mine is too yeah (laughs) yeah yeah so speaking of the mom content you have been a mom now for four almost five years oh my gosh wow yeah I have wild (laughs) wild wild so I really want to dive into this because I am not a mom but I am in a phase of life where a lot of my I almost said a lot of my kids are having friends a lot of my friends are having kids (laughs) And, you know, I'm around more kids and so many of my clients, and I am sure you experience this, have beliefs that have been passed down from their moms about body image and diet culture. And it's just like such a generational thing with women, unfortunately. So I am very curious um, how you as both an intuitive eating expert, a nutrition professional, and a mom with not only kids, but daughters. The daughters, yeah. What did you think about, like, let's kind of go back to when you first got pregnant and maybe even first found out you were having a girl. Um, what did you think about, worry about before bringing a daughter into this world? Hmm. That was such a, a, a hard time of life, realizing that I was going to have a daughter and then having two daughters a lot of excitement because I love clothes and I love dressing them and I love (laughs) that worry like I don't know my husband's a a dad to two girl dads it's the cutest thing in the world and full recognition from the get-go like this is going to be tough for a variety of reasons including the fact that I'm going to have to protect her and keep her safe from tricky people such Mm -hmm. an earlier age it's just the reality of being a girl mom that's been really hard to cope with uh, and also recognizing that people make comments on girls' bodies, especially at such a, like it has started at such a young age. It is dumbfounding to me that people think it's okay to comment on their bodies. And also, again, thinking about like, well, I know that there was a lot of dieting in my household. How do I make sure that I set her up for success? Full like, uh, full acknowledgement that all people struggle with eating disorder, disorder eating, and we can say that we know that. Girls are especially taught at a young age, normalized especially to control their eating habits. So I had, you know, a lot of not sadness, but a lot of like apprehension, maybe of like, let me make sure I do this best. And I am so grateful that years ago I made the decision to heal my own relationship with food and body because what it allowed for was a lot of trust once I became a mom. I feel like there's always anxiety before you become a mom, but once it actually happens, you're like, 
dude, I'm in this. I don't have a choice, but like yeah. just to do the best I can every day. You, I, I, That might just be my own personal experience, but I don't have a lot of time to like freak out about things. It's like, just go right. for it. Right. So it's, it's one of those things where like every single day, it's like, how are you thinking about how you talk about things, intentionality behind it. And it has um, gotten so much easier again. And I'm so grateful that I made the decision years ago because I don't think it's been as hard for me as maybe it has been for others because I have such a foundation of my own journey with things and uh, knowledge of what affected me at a young age to make sure that doesn't happen for her, or at least the best of my own ability to control things. And we can't control everything. And I think, you know, right now, well, just always in this world, influences from other people is a huge, huge issue. And, you know, you mentioned the body comments start so young and I'm so curious, like, when did you first hear things about your daughter's appearance from other people? Uh, like six months. It is, <laughs> I don't think anyone in our generation does this, right? But there yeah. are a lot of people that are maybe yeah. older and it, here's what it is. It's like, oh, is she flirting with me? Is she flirting with that young boy? Is she, are you trying to give him kisses? Like small things like that. Yeah. And I know someone listening is like, what's the big deal? And then it's like, think right. about what that teaches her that even her smiling or engaging with someone else means that she's flirting with them. It's really interesting to think about. Um, also comments on, you know, is it a, what is she wearing? Oh, that's a pretty outfit. Why doesn't she have on this? Why doesn't she have on that? It's hmm. yeah. It starts at a really young age. What? Like, <laughs> why do they care what she's wearing? Some people do. Some people do. Wow. Yeah. How do you respond to comments that you're not comfortable with from other people? I think it depends on the person, right? Well, like for example, my green mothers, like, I am not going to give them this huge lecture. I, I just don't think it's necessary or warranted. Like they have been through their own battles and things in life. And at least in my own opinion, it has not made a big enough difference for it to be worth it. But other people, especially I will. So for me, it depends on the person. Sometimes I'm like, you can't say things like that, especially if like, um, I don't know, my dad will make funny comments. I'm like, dad, you can't say that. Yeah. And just like very bluntly, like, you're not allowed to say that to her. Don't say that going forward. But with my mm-hmm. grandmothers, I'll just be like, brush it off. It's fine just to ignore. And usually I'll have a conversation with my daughter about it. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, a lot of times it is being super specific and direct with someone being like, hey, I know you, you know, love to talk about fashion, but can you please make sure you don't say X, Y, and Z to my daughter going forward? It just depends for me, at least in my own personal experience on the person, the circumstance, what's happening. So I love that you're talking to your daughter about it and your oldest is little, four, four and a half. When did you first start having conversations with her about what other people were saying about her appearance and what does that look like? I think that everything with kids is about the age appropriateness of it, right? So like when someone would, let's say her grandmother, my mom, would make a comment to her about like what she looks like and commenting on how beautiful she is. We would just always follow it up with, you're so beautiful and you're smart, you're hardworking, you put a lot of practice to be good at things. Like just following it up with the type of attributes that I think are more important Because, I mean, it's okay that she gets commented or complimented on her beauty and appearance. I don't think it has to be completely avoided. And I want to make sure it's not the only message she's receiving as a young kid. So uh, at a young age, I was following it up. Um, You know, 
I think what happens the most and what's coming to mind the most is when we watch stuff on television, Mm. there are definitely times when I will pause it and be like, that's not something we believe as a household. That's not our values. And then just like continue playing it. But I do take a moment to pause and kind of explain, like I'm thinking of there is Bluey's a very popular show and there's just one episode in particular where they make some interesting comments about food. I can't remember specifically what they are, but I I remember pausing it and being like, this is what we believe. This is how we approach this. And then just pressing play and continuing on. Because again, you're not going to be able to completely avoid it, but you can do your best to add to the conversation, I think. Right. That's so important. And so with food specifically, how has that looked? I know that it seems like people get kind of testy about everything with food and babies. Are you baby led weaning? Are you this? Are you that? And are you even like breastfeeding, formula feeding? Mm -hmm. There are just so many opinions. So how did you navigate what you wanted to do and talking to your kids about it? Yes. Well, speaking of like breastfeeding and baby led winning, those are things that maybe I didn't talk so specifically, although I probably will talk to Maddie as she's watching Annabelle do those things like we're getting ready to introduce solids. I bet I probably will actually talk to her, but in the beginning, it's less talking more like, what do you want to do? Like personally, I did have the extreme privilege to be able to breastfeed both of my girls. I actually did do baby led weaning because I found it so fascinating and so Mm -hmm. fun. And you have to do what you're comfortable with and what's available to you and what you have the ability to do. I've always said that like the reasons I've been able to breastfeed are because of so much privileges I hold, including being able to work from home. Like I completely see why a lot of people cannot and have so much understanding of that. Um, as they get older though, it's a lot of just like helping her explore her own body. And I say probably like at least five times a day, like I trust you to trust your body or I trust you to make that decision or what is your body telling you? That is something I say a lot, um, especially as far as like uh, fullness particularly goes, because I know for so many of us, we grew up with a you know, clean my plate era and kids don't clean their plates all that often. So when she tells me she's done, I often say, I trust you that you can listen to your body. Cool. We're done. Mm -hmm. Um, Another thing that happens a lot is, you know, sugar dessert conversations. People are very, I have a viral uh, video that people got so mad at me because I said that I don't control my daughter's sugar intake, which is absolutely true. And the irony is, is that she does not eat all that much. Like she eats sugar every day. Do not get me wrong. However, it's not like something that she sits and eats a lot of in one sitting because it's regularly consumed. It's consistent. It's not off limits. There's not weird comments being made about it. Mm -hmm. And because of it, it often takes her days to finish foods. Like Halloween candy is something I shared the other day. It took her two whole days to finish a single Reese cup. And I just like put it to the side and let her finish it the next day. I'm like, cool. But then sometimes with ice cream, she eats all of it in one sitting. It's just different. And I, again, I say to her a lot, I trust you to trust your body. Another thing we say a lot is it's your body, your choice. So teaching her that autonomy from a really young age too. That has not always paid off well because getting dressed in the morning is really difficult when she literally says to me, it's my body, my choice. And it's so worth it. It's, I still firmly will continue doing it because I'm like, it's worth it, even though you're yeah. using it against me right now. <laughs> that is hysterical. Yeah. But it's so true with the sugar. You know, I use that example all the time with clients when I'm talking about like binge eating and those binge urges. Mm-hmm. And I will always say like, you know, if you're at a kid's birthday party, you know, which kids don't get sugar at home. 
by watching how they act around the sweets from the pinata or the cake or whatever. Like the kids who have it restricted are going to be going crazy. The kids who have it all the time can ignore it. And they don't think twice about it. It's so interesting to watch kids who aren't restricted. They just like don't think about it ever. Like it's just not a big deal to them. Mm -hmm. And I mean, even as an adult, like I was noticing in myself right after Thanksgiving and having leftover pie every day, then there was like a chocolate, um, what's it called? Like coffee cake in the house that usually I always want. Yeah. It's so good. And I watched it be finished by the rest of my family. And then I was like, I actually don't want any of this. And like, I don't care this time that it's here. And it's like, yeah, because I had everything I wanted from everything else that was around. Yeah. Yeah. I love the habituation response of just like all food is equal and it allows you to really tune into like what feels best for you. And sometimes that absolutely does mean this delicious chocolate coffee dessert that you're talking about. And sometimes it's not eating that. And um, the beauty of intuitive eating is it's not about a one size fits all approach of like eat this, don't eat that. It's about like, what does you, what do you want? What feels best in your body at that exact moment? Right. understandably it's very hard to tune into, which is why working with dietitians like ourselves to mm-hmm. learn how to do that is so important, but it is possible for all people. 100%. So, you know, we work with adults or maybe teens who are going through this process and we can talk to them about, okay, when you start allowing these foods, you probably will eat more of them at first. What would you say to a parent who is maybe wanting to change the conversation about food at home, allow all foods, you know, destigmatize? So they start bringing in sugar for a kid who has been restricted and they see that initial overeating or intense response and they're like, oh my God, I'm ruining my kid's health because they are eating all of this sugar. What a wonderful question and something I don't know that I've even thought in detail a lot about, but what I would think of is a similar conversation that we'd probably have with clients, which is that you've got to, as the parent, be okay with the fact that they're probably going to eat more initially and that you can trust that over time, and it probably will take time to reestablish the ability to listen to hunger, full excuse, body food congruence, but kids are the ones that can do that the best, right? So kids are so resilient. They can bounce back so quickly. So just give them some time and like it may make you uncomfortable. So much of parenting, though, is about learning how to sit in your own discomfort about things that are happening and learning to process through your own feelings instead of projecting it onto your child, right? So I, I would think probably the most important thing for you to do is to deal with your own feelings about it as you're watching your kid potentially eat more than what you feel comfortable with as they learn how to self-regulate again. But trust that they can do it. And let's say you go a full year of trying to help themselves regulate to having sugar in the house again, or maybe even just six months. Maybe then you work with a dietitian that specializes in pediatrics to help figure out what is going on. But like, I really do think that if you could just renormalize it and be really thoughtful about your own uh, behaviors, both subconscious and conscious, and really think about how you're communicating to them and just let it be there, they will they will completely build that ability back up again. Because again, kids are resilient. They, they can do so much more than we give them credit for. Yeah, they, they really can. <laughs> and they know so much more. So they also will pick up on those things that you are saying and doing even subtly. 
Yes. And that's why I said subconscious and conscious because I'm like thinking maybe a parent is being like, okay, it's okay that you're eating this. But if you are acting anxious and uptight and you're feeling like you're obviously giving signs to the kid that you don't feel comfortable, they're going to pick up on that because again, kids are smarter than we give them credit for. Like they can pick up on those type of emotional reactions to things. So make sure you have dealt with your own stuff so you can best parent them in that ability to, again, listen to their bodies, including something like sugar intake. Right. This, I always worry that this sounds like so rude when I say it, but so much of people talking about how to parent kids reminds me of dogs and like my dog, because that's what I can relate to. And like the dogs know who is afraid of dogs and like they pick up on stress. It's like kids are like that. They absolutely are. They are. Yeah. Not to say that kids are dogs, but I love dogs. So that's I get what fact. you're saying though. I get it. I get it. Right. Thank you. I, I love kids too. No hate. Um, so another thing that I hear a lot of parents worry about, especially like, you know, I've had a lot of teen clients and parents still worry about their teens um, just as much as little kids. And they worry about balance of meals, vegetable intake, all these things, which I think is most common in younger kids and like the picky eating and the fear of, okay, well, if I'm allowing all these foods and serving my kid everything and they only finish the pasta at dinner and they leave the broccoli behind, they're not getting their nutrients. There's a lot of this idea of like, you have to finish your veggies in order to get dessert. Mm -hmm. What has your experience been with like picky eating from your kids, your oldest, probably more so than the little one, um, with that balance of nutrition and just kind of watching what she prefers and is willing to eat and how it all shakes out. Yes. such. I bet these are probably the biggest concerns you hear from people for sure. Mm -hmm. Uh, Two things come to mind. In my opinion, one of the most important things in body image and food and everything, nutrition too, is modeling, right? So like, how are you modeling? I cannot tell you how many times I've heard someone say, I want my kid to eat broccoli, but then they're never sitting and eating the broccoli with the kid, right? Or maybe for you, it's the ice cream that you're not sitting and eating with them. Um, So modeling to them a healthy relationship with food, a healthy relationship with body, a healthy relationship with even nutrition. So like, are you sitting there and eating together as a family and modeling to them how you want food like that to be consumed and that it's just a regular normal part of a diet. Um, And then when it comes to picky eating, one of the things that we have learned just from, you know, watching our own four-year-old and I say me and my husband is it was really hard when she started to develop picky eating, what felt like out of nowhere, because in the very beginning, she ate literally everything, everything, every vegetable we gave her, everything. And that's really normal until about two, two and a half. And then they start to develop picky eating, which is absolutely normal. So normalizing it can be really helpful in just reminding yourself like, hey, like kids develop picky eating at this age. Of course, we don't want to get to too much of an extreme where they're only eating, let's say, two to five foods. However, it's really normal. And one of the things that has been the most helpful is just, you know, consistently offering the foods, even if she doesn't eat it which can be hard because it sometimes means food waste. And if we can find ways to prevent that, that's great. But we offer a variety of foods on her plate, even if she doesn't eat it. And sometimes, a lot of times, she doesn't eat a lot of the foods that she used to eat. Mm. 
even though she's less of a picky eater than I say, like the average kid that I see around her, her friends, other, you know, kids in our family, like she eats a lot of foods, but she's still developing that typical picky pattern at this age. And I still offer those foods to her because I know there's no way I'm going to get her to eat broccoli again if I never offer it to her again. Like imagine like if you offered a kid broccoli one single time, they didn't want it that one single time. And then you for forever never offered it again. That is what a lot of people do with Mm -hmm. kids that they're eating. So you have to consistently offer it if you want them to eat those foods and be okay with the fact that they're not going to eat it. Because if you force it, we know that that's actually going to contribute to the picky eating even more so. So just like put it on their plate. If I'm introducing a new food, I put it with something else that I know she will eat. That familiar with non-familiar foods is helpful. And otherwise, just trust. Again, it always comes back to trust of like, cool, you didn't eat that for 10 times. Cool. But maybe that 10th time she does take a bite and then we start to reintroduce or re-eat foods that she used to eat because um, that picky eating does happen so commonly during the two to five-year-old time frame. Okay. So she's still in it. Like has she expanded anything from a year ago? Yeah. I mean, so we went through a phase where it was just like mac and cheese and quesadillas and I'm like trying to think of pizza. However, she still would eat like she'll, she had like half of an avocado today and she still eats, you know, all variety of uh, fruits and she loves salads. So she's still a good eater and like eating a variety of foods, which is something that I aim for. Not just, you know, eating fruits and vegetables, of course, those are important. I just want her to eat a variety of foods though. That's the way I like explain the importance of it to her, to her. And, um, yeah, sometimes she doesn't eat it. Sometimes she does, but I do think that consistently offering it, even though she, she gets mad at me sometimes. And this is what's hard about being a parent is sometimes she throws it at you. Sometimes she like won't eat it. That has literally happened. Like, cool, Awesome. It's okay. It's okay. Like I'm still going to put it on your plate, even though it makes you mad. I'm still going to put it on your plate, even though I know you're probably not going to eat it. That's cool. That's okay. That's what we're having for dinner. You get to choose what you eat. i choose what goes on your plate so right right that um what is it ellen the vision of responsibility i love that philosophy and again it is hard like actually going through the parenting process i see things that maybe i used to give advice before and i was like oh like this has got to be so easy. Just offer it. I'm like, no, like she literally throws it at me. Sometimes she throws temper tantrums. I'm trying to think of all the things that have happened. Um, like kids are crazy. Like think it's wild out here. However, the consistency will pay off and it does pay off because she's still eating a variety of foods more so than I would say the typical two to five year old. That's great. Yeah. I mean, consistency does pay off. And I even think of myself, like, Obviously, I don't have children, but when I was in high school, I remember literally like training myself to like sushi because I didn't like sushi, but I thought it was like so cool to eat sushi. (laughs) And I was like, well, all my friends like sushi and I want to. And I literally just kept trying it until I liked it because I wanted to like be cool and be a sushi lover. (laughs) And now I like sushi. So it works. I do love sushi so much. It's one of my top like three favorite foods. I don't eat it often, but I forced myself to like it and now I do (laughs) even kombucha I was like all the cool kids like kombucha I want to like kombucha and I just kept trying it until I liked it I love that for you that's great thank you even on yourself you can be a cool kid (laughs) I am curious though is there any um advice that you gave to parents as a dietitian before having kids that now you would go back on now that you are a parent yourself 
Oh my gosh. Uh, it looks food specific. Yeah. Food, body image, meal times, any of that stuff. You know, ooh, here's one. Uh, getting them to sit at mealtime is really challenging. And I, I thought, you know, just by, you know, saying like we eat together as a family, that that's just what happened. I remember saying that and like, no, like getting a four-year-old to, to sit is the hardest thing in the world. Yeah. And this idea of like sitting together as a family is not always, most often actually, is not the easiest thing to actually accomplish. Mm-hmm. And again, cool. We just roll with it. We try. We like start there. We usually have like activities for her to do. Like we do a lot of puzzling or practice writing or coloring uh, just so that we can get her to somewhat sit. But honestly, most of the time she's running around and barely eating anything. We're also that phase where like, it seems like they live off of thin air and <laughs> so offer dinner. We still offer consistency. We're still offering a variety of foods, even though sometimes she's not actually eating it or she's picking at things or sometimes she eats the salad. Sometimes she won't touch it for five days. Mm-hmm. All the things happen. If you're a parent, you know, <laughs> and I still show up and do it. Even though sometimes I'm like, Oh, this, this is so hard to do right now. Also watching TV and eating. That's a harder battle to, um, yeah. to navigate and to say that like, we never let them eat and watch TV. is just not true. They, they definitely do that sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> and so do you this. I do that sometimes. Right. I, mean, I mean, we all do. Yeah. Are you aiming for like, you're still sitting at the table like most of the time it is because I mean I am guilty of telling people like oh just eat as a family no screens blah 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 just do it (laughs) you know so it started happening more when we had our baby because we would be so desperate to kind of get through the um the crazy like five to nine p.m time frame when they're crying a lot Mm -hmm. so like we've used it in time frames when needed like I need you to sit and watch tv right now because I have to tend to a crying baby and I just like can't sit and eat with you I think the main thing is not letting that be your norm for like the rest of your life like there's an an acknowledgement in our household that this is a temporary time frame of like we just need to get through really the first year of life it's harder Mm -hmm. in certain hours of the day with young babies in comparison to toddlers, although toddlers getting them to bed is so hard. So that's just like a hard time of day for us. Mm -hmm. And sometimes we use the TV to help with that. Now I'm still pretty like intentional about the amount of time and what she watches. I mean, we still have rules in our household. That's just how we are. But there, like I have definitely, definitely let her watch TV and eat when we're like, hey, like mm-hmm. we just need you to sit and do this so that we can tend to this. It's just not like getting in the habit of doing that for the rest of her life, which would be understandably hard to like get out of the habit once you're right. in it. Um, but yeah, I have totally done that. And I'm sure there's a parent listening that's like, yup, it's very hard to avoid that. <laughs> yeah. So you mentioned that sometimes or maybe often right now, she doesn't eat very much. And that's another big concern that parents always have when trying to get to that true division of responsibility, choosing what food is served, letting the child eat what they would like, and then kind of having that like, okay, kitchen closed and not being a, um, you know, personal chef to every child, which then can easily get to the point of they only eat two foods and you have to make those for the rest of their life or whatever. So what would you say to the parent who then is afraid thinking, well, if I don't make them their quesadilla every single day, they're not going to eat. And then my child's not eating enough. And am I starving my kid? Mm, I could see that being a valid concern. And to me, again, it comes back to like trust. Like if they're not going to eat what we provide them, then I trust that she is going to learn a lesson from it or she's going to learn how to 
eat what is available to her without, I mean, I think you have to be careful there, right? Like I, I, I talked earlier about familiar and non-familiar foods, which means that like mm-hmm. say you give her the quesadilla and what you cooked for the house together. Mm-hmm. Um, like if I made a really different meal that I know that's going to be hard for her because kids do like very simple, more like less flavorful things, especially at two to five years old. I would probably put what we cooked for dinner and other foods on her plate because I know that that would be more likely to get her to eat. And I'm still going to say like, hey, this is what we're eating for dinner. Now, one of the hard things that I've definitely come up against and we're still constantly trying to figure out new, I feel like parenting is so like trying out different things, seeing what works, seeing what doesn't, constantly like adapting, trying to trying new things. So one of the things we're doing right now, or one of the things we're battling is nighttime snack. It's actually a delay tactic on her end of like trying to avoid going to bed. (laughs) So we've recently decided that like, we just do a nighttime snack. Now it's a banana. That's what she gets. She Mm -hmm. only like, we just only offer a banana because if she's actually hungry, like that is what we'll offer you. You can have banana. And then sometimes she'll ask for a snack after that. And I'll give her like a small slice of an apple or like a like literal like wedge of an orange and be like, that's it. Um, so it's kind of working with the delay tactic, which is actually more related to her desire for connection and fear of being by herself. Yeah. Time, which is very common for kids. Mm-hmm. And also knowing that like, it's not actually about, I mean, it could be about hunger, but it's often about other things, but still working with the fact that she probably does need a nighttime snack if it's been two to three hours. And mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, we're still constantly trying to figure it out though. It's, it's right. so many small things like that happen that I like would have never thought about before I had kids. Right. Kids are so smart. That amazes me, honestly, <laughs> that like she's figured it out. <laughs> oh yeah. 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 Wow. Coming out of room, I'm hungry. I'm hungry. I'm like, yeah. are you hungry? Are you right? trying to avoid going to bed right now and you got to work with it and also still hold firm boundaries too. Right. Right. So let's talk a bit about body image and that whole conversation, which maybe is less of a conversation yet, but is there anything that you do intentionally around your kids to make sure that they are being raised in Whatever household you've decided, I don't know, do you feel more like body positive is what you want, body neutral? What is your stance on that? Mm, I love this question. I would say body positive. Yeah, I want her to have a loving, respectful relationship of her body, although body positive probably means different things to different people too, including neutrality. Um, Mm -hmm. I love the idea though of her like truly loving her body. So I feel comfortable with that and I could totally respect if someone else doesn't though. So I mentioned earlier on, we say the term all the time, it's your body or choice. That's part of healthy body image to me is the autonomy over your own body. So like that started at such a young age saying things like that. Um, We also talk a lot about the values that we hold as a household. One of those is we talk a lot about how we value non-judgment and being kind to all people. So like that has definitely included talks of bodies. She's asked, for example, we were at a pool like maybe six months ago and she was like, what is my body going to look like? Like, is it going to look like that person's, this person's like when I grow up and we had a conversation about how all bodies are good bodies, how we don't judge other people's bodies, whatever your body ends up becoming as an adult is what it's meant to be, that we trust your body. Again, I consistently say, I trust your body. Um, And then otherwise, 
you know, I'm just thoughtful to make sure that I'm not body checking in front of her, that I'm speaking kindly to my body. For example, I take her to the gym a lot of times with me. And instead of being like, oh my gosh, I need to go exercise to burn calories or like, I hate the way I feel my body today. I need to go, you know, exercise. I always, always say like, I'm so excited to move my body today. Moving my body feels so much fun. I love how it feels. How do you like moving your body? I'm like including her in the conversation. And I, I, you know, many things I will get wrong as a parent, but one thing I can say confidently is like, she's definitely growing up in a household where it's like, she does not even know those terms yet. She will absolutely learn them as she gets older. However, she has had this consistent pattern of her mom and dad for that matter, saying things like, we love moving our bodies. It feels so fun. I can't wait to go move my body today. Um, you know, even thinking about like, oh, that, you know, I enjoy getting dressed. I love caring for my body. Um, you know, just always speaking in a kind, compassionate way, both towards my own body, but also towards others. And that's also been emphasized to her too. Yeah. So I would love to talk a bit more about body positivity because you are someone who, from following your page on Instagram, I feel like you are very body positive, even mm-hmm. with like forms of movement. And I don't know what, if it, how long ago this was from that you were sharing like burlesque classes and different dances and things like that. Like you seem so comfortable and positive. And for a lot of people, I think that feels completely unattainable. Mm-hmm. So how did you get past neutrality into body positivity in your own journey? Yeah. You know, I I always try to be really thoughtful about this, especially with clients. I'm always like, what are your goals? Because I would never project like how I feel onto you. Uh, I think most people probably want more so um, appreciation or neutrality and don't even necessarily desire love and appreciation, um, positivity. And I'm always like, that is so cool. Like whatever your goals are, exactly what we'll focus on. And for me personally, I just like the idea of celebrating my body. That's probably the word I would use the most actually is like body celebration. I just still to these body. I'm a human that lives in this world. However, I have developed tools and the ability to reframe thoughts for just consistently for so many years now that I can really quickly turn that around internally. So it's not that I don't ever have negative thoughts. It's just that they don't have authority over me. I can very quickly change them, reframe those thoughts. And I have found celebrating my body through things that, like what you mentioned, like burlesque classes. It's just a fun way to be body positive and in my body, like to be someone who's truly connected to it and enjoying what it can do for me. Because I recognize that it is an immense privilege and one that I want to really be so grateful for that I have the ability to do all the things I can do in my body. I feel like that's where a lot of my body positivity comes from is like so much gratitude because it is, it is a gift to be able to move into breathe and do all the cool things that we can do with our bodies. It's something I encourage my clients to do often, that even writing down body gratitudes, which can feel so cheesy, but really it works. Yeah. <laughs> Gratitude writing, I do it three three things I'm grateful for every single morning, every single day of my life. I love that. Like scientifically, it's been proven to change your brain. Yeah examples of gratitude throughout the day. So it could be body image or completely unrelated to body image, but I do think 
thinking that way makes you think more often that way. And that's probably why I potentially exude some of that because it's just a consistent habit I've had for years now of every single day, I write down three things I'm grateful for. And when I do do things like move my body, whether that's strength training at the gym or I go to those burlesque kids classes, I am thinking like, gosh, this is a freaking goal. Like how cool is it that I can do this with my body? Because when I had disordered eating, I feel like I was so scared to do any of that. And I very much struggled to be connected and celebrating my body. So it's such a gift to be able to to feel differently, even though I still have negative thoughts about my body. And I, I do like to emphasize that part too, because I, I would never want someone to think that like, that I don't have negative thoughts because that's just not true. It's what you do with them that counts. Exactly. We all do. I need to start writing down three things I'm grateful for every single day. I love that. And it's so true. Like you do look for what you're focused on. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, it might start off feeling so forced and awkward of like, I'm grateful for my lungs because I can breathe. But then it does spiral. And I remember really feeling a lot of that, um, body gratitude and just a change in my body image when I was training for my first marathon because How cool. I was like, Congrats, oh, by the way. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. I was like, wait, I'm running this distance. I've never done this before. Like how cool that I'm doing something new for the first time. And like, it didn't matter how fast or slow or whatever. I was just like, wow, I, my body is able to do something new and different. And so like, it really can be a different experience. Yeah. And again, how freaking cool that your body can do that for you. Like not every, that is a really cool thing. And I, I'm sure you feel so grateful that you have the relationship with food in your body that you have, because it wouldn't be possible to do something like freaking run a marathon. Had you not healed your relationship, right? Right. 100%. Like there were plenty of times where I was thinking of my clients because I was like, wow, I'm not really hungry right now. Like I'm stressed and don't have an appetite, but I know that I'm running tomorrow. And so I need to eat every three to four hours today and I'm still going to do it. And it like all of this work comes into play. So practical eating. I feel like we all need practical eating every day. Of For, our sure. Lives. For sure. Myself. Yeah. 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 So the last question I have for you, I would love for you to share a little bit of advice because circling back to what we've been touching on our own relationships with food and especially yours as a parent being able to model that positive relationship with food having done your own healing if somebody is listening to this right now and maybe it's a an expecting mom a new mom somebody who knows like dang i still have my own stuff with food like i know that my eating is disordered. My thinking is disordered. I'm critical of my body, whatever it is. And they're worried like, ah, what do I do now that I'm having this kid? What would you say to that person? I would say how amazing that you recognize that you want something different for your kid. Because so often we go into parenting just being like, well, what I did was good enough or how I was parented was good enough. And I think to think differently requires a lot of mental fortitude of being like, I recognize that this will be hard to change. And I know that like, this will be so important because that mission that we talked about in the very beginning, right? Like we're on a mission to end this. If you don't want your kids to grow up the way that you did, you have to wake up every day and be like, I, I can do this. The thing I would probably encourage the most of all though, is to say like, you can do this. You can do hard things. It will be hard sometimes. 
and to like heal your relationship with food and body. If you do nothing else other than that, even if you don't change the, you know, and I think that will change your language. So even if you feel like you don't have all the sc- the skills and the tools and all these things, simply just healing your relationship with food in your body, that modeling, we know that modeling is how kids learn everything. That alone will completely change how they grow up. So just focus on even just yourself to be able to be that good example to them and feel confident that that alone will make such a difference. Amazing. I love it. And I also want to throw in there, parents do not cause eating disorders. You're not going to do that. Everyone messes up and like, yeah, any effort is helpful. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Of course. We're always going to mess up. I mess up every day. And I think one of the healthy things as a parent, even if you do feel like you mess up in some way with food and body image is to apologize. Like I apologize to Maddie all the time. Like, I'm sorry. I did X, Y, and Z. This is how I'm learning to be a better person and share that with them. So if you body check as an example in front of your kid, share that with them. Be like, I'm sorry, especially when they're older, right? And they can recognize what you're doing. Like, I'm sorry. I'm learning too. I I didn't grow up the same way where you know, maybe I've been doing this from a really young age and I've struggled and here's how I'm learning to do better. Have that conversation with them. I think having honest conversations is one of the best things we can do with kids. Such a good tip. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for everything that you've shared. Can you tell everyone where they can keep up with you? Of course. I would say the best place to find us is on Instagram at Nourishing Minds Nutrition is the best place to find us. And then I'd also uh, say the podcast, Nourishing Women Podcast. We're on all platforms. Love for you to listen. We have over 450 episodes for you to binge listen to at this point. So many episodes, so much goodness. I love being in DM conversations with people. I love talking with people. So feel free to reach out. Let me know that you listened to this episode. Yay. Thank you so much for joining me, Victoria. This was wonderful. Thank you for having me. And there you have it. That is our show for today. I hope you enjoyed it and had some good takeaways. If you did, I would love to hear what's resonating for you. Send me a DM on Instagram or share the episode to your stories and tag me so that I can see that you're listening and hopefully loving it. You can also share this episode with a friend who you think would enjoy it and spread some intuitive eating love to everyone around you. As always, five-star ratings and reviews are so appreciated, so you can drop me one of those. Be sure to also check out the show notes for all the links that I mentioned and more information on myself and my nutrition private practice. Other than all that, I hope you have a great day and a great week, and I will catch you in the next episode.